Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... People in the face of impossible odds believe God and God came through for them. And so that's where we want to find ourselves. We want to find ourselves in a place where we are trusting God even in impossible situations because our God is the God of the impossible. Amen? There isn't anything that's too hard for our God. And so we want to believe like that, live like that, trust like that, that we can receive the blessings of the Lord like that. Because here's the thing, those that trusted him received. And those that didn't, didn't. Everybody has challenges in their lives. Through difficulties, the enemy attempts to undermine us on a regular basis. When we can find no way out of a predicament, we often give up hope. What steps can you take to overcome a challenge? In today's message, Pastor Bill teaches how you can always rely and put your faith in God. When things are tough, you may turn to others for help. Instead of relying on other people, you can put your faith in God, ask for His help, and rely on Him to guide you in the right path. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 13, as he continues his message, Fake it till you break it. Parents, when we go through stuff, I'm not saying we got to fake it. We got to faith it. Um, because if, if you look broken, your kids, look, they're looking for you for stability. And if you don't trust God, they don't, they're, they're looking at you like, mom don't trust God. God must not, you know, he must not be trustworthy. Look, look at her crying nonstop. Um, you know, look at how we're falling apart. And so, and I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying fake it. I'm saying faith it. I want to get to the place where when the bottom is falling out, God trusts you. I'm trying, we're here. I'm here in this boat with you. And so I believe I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It don't look good, but I believe we're where we're supposed to be. And so in faith, I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm not going not to bellyache. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going not gonna to act like I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know why God's allowing this to happen to us. You know, I'm not going to speak like that. Um, we want to be careful that we don't, we don't lead in fear. We want to lead in faith. You'll never be disappointed leading in faith. Just God, we're going to trust the Lord. Um, I've done that many times where we just I'm just challenged, but I'm trusting the Lord through difficult things. God always comes through. It's always, always some reason why he allowed it to be bumpy. He allowed it to be challenging. There were some years back, uh, my family, we, we were now God has spoke to me that it was time for us to move back to Inglewood because we were going to we going to be doing this. And so I sold a house we had in Downey and we were we had a, found another house. We thought we were going to be in a hotel for about a week. And uh, as we were in that hotel, we found out that the house that we thought we were going to get fell through. Someone else bought it cash and we had to start over from scratch. And so that one week, two weeks in the hotel turned into months in the hotel. We spent a Christmas and uh, I don't know if it was a Christmas or Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year. But you remember that. Y'all remember that. My kid asked some kids about it. It was a year for us. It was four. Was it five of us in a. Hotel room with two beds, so it was two beds and a bathroom, and five of us was in there. Tight quarters. Um, Mika was cooking up food on a. We had to plug in skillet in the toaster oven and a little. That's how we was living for months while doing the ministry. While every Sunday, every Sunday. Back then it was every Thursday, and other things were going on. And the kids are going to school, and it was it was difficult. When I tell you, I'm like God. I did what you told me to do. This looks bad, Lord. This is. And then if you guys could have seen the house that I found when I found it, it was a fixer upper and it was hoarded. 
It was so bad when Mika and Harmony saw it and we left. I was like, that's going to be it. They were like, you're not you're not considering this place. I'm like, no, that's that, that's it. That's, a, that's the place we're, we're going for it. It was bad. Um, it's not bad. It's not so bad now. Now it's all right. You know, but I had vision at the time, you know, as all those things were going on, um, difficult challenge things. And it didn't it didn't look good, but. I did believe the Lord and I did trust that God had put us in the position when we came out of that season. I, mean, I talked to all my kids and I'm like, what did you get out of that season? And you know what? Everybody got something positive out of it. Um, one of my kids was like, you know what, dad? And all that time, they're like, I don't know anybody that I know who could live that close and not fight. We never fought. You guys, you and mom never fought. We didn't like there was unity. You know, there were nights where, you know, somebody would pull out the guitar and we have worship. Uh, there were nights where we was on each other's nerves and, you know, because it was, you know, somebody always had to be on the air mattress. So it was like, I don't want to be on. He can be on there. You know, there was nights like that. But sharing one bathroom uh, between five folks and two women, you know, all of that was, uh, you know what it did, though? When we finally got into the fixer upper, that was very ugly. The house was ugly compared to the house that we left. Um, I don't think that we anybody would appreciate the house, but coming out of a hotel room, it was like, I got my own room. Oh, it's like just <laughs> praise the Lord. You know, so God was working in us in that time. There was stuff that he was doing. It was challenging, though, but we got through it. We got through it. Nothing broke. God didn't you know, he didn't destroy us through that. Um, he taught us more about him in that season. Then he brought us out. And so as we go through things, I just it's so important that it's not afterwards. It's when we're going through it. Now I got to faith it right now. Now I need to operate in faith. Now I need to trust right now while I'm faced with the opposition. Do I trust God? And is that what I'm believing? Is that what I'm speaking? Is that what I'm sharing? Or am I doubting God? Am I mad at God? Am I frustrated? Am I complaining because I don't know what God is doing? I don't know why God. <laughs> you know, I hate to hear believers sounding like that, you know. Because we don't we won't always know why the whys of God, his ways are not our ways. That's why that. And I, I just accept that. God, your ways are not my ways. because I would have never done it like this. But OK, <laughs> you know, you, you're still the Lord. You're still in charge. So I just look here at these people. I'm like, this is the camp of Israel. These are God's people. And look at it one more time. They were distressed. Then the people hid in caves and thickets, rocks, holes and in pits. They were scared. I mean, in thickets, just jumping in the bushes, <laughs> you know, just like a bunch of little crackheads, just hiding out in little spots out there. You know, um, this is the condition of God's people under this particular leader. Uh, I'm sorry. Verse seven, it says, and some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of uh, the land of Gad and Gilead. So some of them, they crossed back from they had crossed over into the promised land. Some of them went back over to Jordan on the east side. They were like, we we get out of here. You know, so they hide. They, this is the condition of God's people. Um, and Saul only been king for a, a hot minute. He just getting going. And this is the condition of God's people. It says the last part of verse seven. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. Saul is still in Gilgal. Now, this is interesting. Gilgal was where, where he got inaugurated, you know, where he was anointed. And it make you wonder if Saul was like, I'm going to stay over here where the last time it was good things was happening over here in Gilgal. You, you need to go over there and figure out why your folks is all scared. But Saul is right there in Gilgal. But notice that last part of verse seven. And the people followed him trembling. Um, that's a pit. They're, they're following him, but they're scared to death. Because they got a bad leader. 
right? They got a bad leader. They're following Saul, but they got no trust. Um, and I don't think Saul is giving them much to trust in. Saul is not crying out to God. Saul is not believing God for great things. Saul is, it looks like a cowardice leader. Let me give you, I'm going to give you two other kings in similar situations, but a great contrast as an example for what we should do. Uh, while Saul is an example of what we shouldn't do, I want you to see there are some examples of what we should do. Turn with me, everybody, to Second Chronicles. Two stories in Second Chronicles. One is in chapter 14. One is in chapter 20. Everybody get Second Chronicles chapter 14. I'm going to wait for y'all to get there. And we're going to look at King Asa real quick. And Second Chronicles 14, starting at verse 8, Asa just became king. He started off well. He was putting out all the wicked stuff that the people did before him. And then the Ethiopians came out against him. My brothers, the Ethiopians, you know, my, my people, they came out with spears and whatnot. But look at verse 8. I'm just kidding. It says, and Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears. So Asa had 300 foot soldiers. Um, I'm sorry, 3,000 foot soldiers. They had spears and shields. That's what they had. Um, from Benjamin, he had 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Altogether, he's got 580,000 foot soldiers, mighty men of valor. Then it says in verse 9, then Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against him with an army of a million. That's almost double. He got a million man army and 300 chariots, chariots. And that that was like tanks. You got I got we can we can run up on you and run by you and we can do, do drive bys and everything else. Well, they got 300 chariots and twice as many men. They're outdone. They're, you were outgunned and outdone by almost double at this point. And so Asa went out against them, set his troops in battle array. And look at what it says. He cried out. Verse 11. Look, I want you to hear his prayer. Asa cried out to the Lord as God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help. Rather, with many or with those who have no power, help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on you. Get this. And in your name, we go out against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Asa said, Lord, we do this for you. You're our God. He said, look, it ain't nothing for you, God. Rather many or few, our trust is in you. God, don't let them prevail against you. We going. And you go read the rest of the story. God whooped the Ethiopians and Asa had a victory and they took all the spoils from that war. One more example. Look at uh, 2 Chronicles. Go to chapter 20. And um, another king here. I'm going to highlight his prayer. This is King Jehoshaphat. Another scenario where he was outnumbered, outgunned by the people that came against him. And I just one thing is just verse 12, 2 Chronicles 20, 12. I love his prayer. He says, oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. Get it. Get this. But our eyes are upon you. This is good spiritual leadership. These men, he said, look, we don't God, there's, there's too many of them than us. And we don't know what we're doing, but our eyes are upon you. And again, they went out in the name of the Lord and God gave them the victory. And so while we have this example here, I think someone lacking faith. And when you lack faith, you will be you will succumb to fear. And that's what we see in King Saul. We got these other two examples, King Asa and we got uh, Jehoshaphat. And there are many other examples like that where people in the face of impossible odds believe God and God came through for them. And so that's where we want to find ourselves. We want to find ourselves in a place where we are trusting God, even in impossible situations, because our God is the God of the impossible. Amen. There isn't anything that's too hard 
for our God. And so we want to believe like that, live like that, trust like that, that we can receive the blessings of the Lord like that. Because here's the thing. Those that trusted him received and those that didn't, didn't. Right. According to your faith, Jesus said to a woman, let it, according to your faith, let it so be it. Um, and so those that trusted God, God came through for him. This Saul didn't even pray and God didn't come through either. He let him have what he, all right, you, you got your little men. You, that's what you got. You're not going to throw up a prayer. Now I'm a little prayer. No prayer. Okay, go ahead, Saul. Go with your bad self. And everybody's hiding in thickets and stones and such. So a couple things I want to point out. I know that fear doesn't please the Lord. It doesn't please God to see his people fretting or in fear because we're walking in fear. It's an outward demonstration that we're not trusting God. So when God's people are walking in fear, we're, we're really walking around saying, I don't trust God. Right. When we trust God, we're bold. We're courageous. You know, where there's where, there is no fear when we trust God. Um, and so, I, I mean, we think of little kids, little kids are if they're comforted in the sight of a dad or a parent. You know, they can be in a crazy place, but not be afraid because they're like, I got my dad's here. My parents here, whoever's here, um, not walking in fear. But. You know, you put them in a, in a weird scenario where they don't know what's going on and the same kid can be frightened. We have the Lord always. And when God's kids walk in fear, it is a demonstration that we don't really trust him. We're living out. We're fleshing out that we really don't trust God in our circumstance or in our situation. And so we want to be careful to walk in faith, not fear, not just for the example that we set, but just because it doesn't please God. It doesn't please God for us to be afraid of anything. And so I remember when I was a, a kid, I used to ride with my dad. And, um, you know, this, this is back in the back in the day. My dad had a, my dad had a Porsche and um, and we lived in the hood. And so my dad knew what, what was going on. There'd be certain times where I would see stuff and I'm like, Dad, you see those guys over there? Well, my dad had a little I don't know what it is, down, a little pocket down here uh, by your foot. And that pocket had a little had a little thing down there. And my dad said, man, we got, they got nothing to worry about over here, man. It was, I remember whenever I was with my dad, I was like, we got, we got heat. Man. I got nothing to worry about in the car, man. We, we covered, you know. We, because my dad worked at Watts, so we'd be in Watts and Inglewood. We'd be all over the hoods. And, uh, but I'm like, he got the thing in there, man. We're good, you know. Um, I, was, I wasn't worried. I was confident that uh, dad had me covered as a little guy, you know. But we want to be trusting in the Lord and everything. Because, um, again, being afraid doesn't glorify him. And it doesn't, it doesn't reflect well. I don't think it's a good witness for our, our friends that are watching us that don't know the Lord. We're walking in fear. Uh, I don't know how, what is that? What are we witnessing to them about the Lord as they watch us walk in fear and be terrified about things. Uh, whereas faith, faith demonstrates that I'm, I'm trusting in someone. I can share that with you when I'm going through it. I'm, I'm trusting in him right now. That's where I'm, my, my faith is. That's what, I, that's, that's what I'm banking on. That's who I'm banking on in my, in my difficult situation. But let's move on now. It says in verse eight now, I says, then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, uh, if you write notes down, write down 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8. In 1 Samuel 10, 8, Samuel had told Saul to wait and that he was going to come. It says, um, he told Saul, he said, you shall go down before me to Gilgal and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So the seven days uh, have passed and Samuel didn't make it back yet. And Saul is going to be disturbed by this. So it says, then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. 
But Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. That's what he's going to be concerned about. Samuel's not here when he said he would be here. And the people are starting to scatter from me because I'm a bad leader. And they've been in thickets and holes and they're following me terrified. And now people are like, man, forget this. I'm leaving. And they're starting to depart from Saul. So he's like, I got to do something. I got to do. I got to do something to keep my leadership to keep. I'm the king. I got to do something. Um, And again, he does something else without prayer because they do need to offer sacrifices. But who is the only person that can offer sacrifice? You got to be what is the position of the person that offers sacrifice? A priest, not a king. Priest. Kings can't do this. Um, That's not your role. That's not your place. Um, And so Saul, it says in verse um, the rest of verse 10, it said, now what happened as soon. I'm sorry. The rest of verse nine. Um, So so Saul said, bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. So Saul said, let me do this. The people are getting scattered from me. Bring me a burnt offering, y'all. And Saul did the priest's job and offered up a burnt offering. You can't serve God in a way that he has not prescribed. It is no longer worship when I worship God in a way that he has told me not to. This is prohibited. This is forbidden. So if you do for God what he forbids you to do, even if it seems worshipful, God's not receiving that as worship. That's disobedience. Saul will be told later he'll do this multiple times. He'll be told another time when he does this that obedience is better than what? Sacrifice. I'd rather you be obey me. Then offer sacrifice. I don't want your little lame sacrifice. I want obedience out of you. Give me obedience and a sacrifice, but not the other way around. And so here Saul does it his way for his own reason, because he's afraid. So earlier he faked like, you know, he took credit for what Jonathan did. Now he's over here faking like he's the priest. He ain't the priest, though. And God's not going to accept this or honor this. Notice this. because He got impatient. Samuel didn't come when he had said he was going to come. Samuel run a little bit late. It didn't, wouldn't matter if Samuel never came. You are never, you're not the priest. You just got to go without. It's, you got to go say a prayer. Go get under a rock somewhere. And so verse 10, it says, now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. Soon as he finished messing up. I mean, he, had, he just waited a little bit longer. Samuel would have been there right on time. He could have offered up the offering. Everything could have been good. But he went and did it himself. And now as soon as he finished, Samuel rose up and Samuel's going to look and say, oh, man, what have you done? What have you done? Now, I want to share this because maybe some of us are impatient with the Lord. Um, not one. You know, we know what God wants for us, you know, but we don't want to wait. Uh, we don't want to wait for God to do it his way. And so we start to. Consider options that are outside of the will of God, outside of the word of God, that that don't agree with what he's written to us. Be careful. It'd be as soon as you go attach yourself to the wrong thing, the right thing would come along. And you'd be like, oh, man, now I messed up. I'm all attached. I've literally seen this happen. I've seen this with my own eyes. I've seen people get impatient, step out, attach themselves to something that they shouldn't have. I've seen this with jobs. I've seen this with relationships. I've seen this with, with homes. People that just, just I, 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 I got to take it. I got to take this one right now. It's, it's available now. I got to take it. And they take it. And um, I've seen people do that and then just lose everything. Take a home and a home outside the will of God. A home sounds like a great thing. And um, you got this right now, you got to take this one. I'm, I'm so careful. I, I, I think people need to be careful as believers that you ever let someone pressure you. 
We're not to be anxious about anything. So if somebody press, my wife would tell you, if somebody press me, you, I need a decision today. The decision today is no. Right? That's, if you need to know today, no. That's, that's my, that is my, that's my answer across the board. If somebody presses me, if you got to know right now, no. That's your answer. My kids can't press, dad, I, I want, you need the answer right now? Okay, because if you, if you need the answer right now, the answer is no. You know, if you want to wait, I'll get back to you and make a little more sense, you know? So, um, but the thing is, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to be pressed into uh, pressured or pressed into having to do something right now. And so because God says, don't be anxious. I'm not supposed to be pressed. I'm supposed to be able to pray and hear and, and get direction from the Lord. And then I'll let you know what I'm doing. And so Saul here gets himself pressed. He didn't have to be. He could have just, he could have just accepted reality. Man, guys, we're waiting until Samuel gets here, guys. I don't, he's, he's a little bit late. We're going to just relax. Uh, he said he'd be here by the day. I mean, he's not here yet. We're going to wait. Uh, Samuel still got there. He just got there a little bit late. And Saul had made a, a huge error. This would cost him. This would cost him the kingdom at this point. We're going to see as we, as we continue on that he didn't wait on the Lord. He did it his way. He stepped out in disobedience. And now God is going to discipline him for what he has done. It says in verse 11, interesting that Saul was excited to get out there and greet him real quick. I wonder if he wanted to hurt him. Like, don't, 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 don't look, don't look, don't, don't, don't see that smoke arising out there. You know, it says in verse 11, and Samuel said, what have you done? Samuel said, oh man, what have you done? Saul said, now I want you to notice this another flaw in Saul's character. He blames everybody else, right? Instead of Saul saying, man, I got impatient. I was afraid. I was scared. I just, ah. I want you to notice how, how he deflects to so many people. Saul said, when I saw that the who? The people were scattered from me. Them people. They just started scattering. When I saw them people scattering like that, the people did that to me. And then he says, and that you did not come within the days appointed. The people and you. So you, you said seven days. Samuel, you was late. And the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. He done put on out three people other than him. He had only one sin here, and it's the people and Samuel and the Philistines. Everybody's fault but mine. This is what separates Saul from David. We know David made some mistakes, amen? He did some things that were wrong, but the Bible says about David that he was a man after God's own heart, right? Saul, we'll see multiple times in his life where he messes up, gets called on the carpet, and he said, somebody else's fault. God's going to tell him, wipe out all the Amalekites, kill everybody, and, and don't keep any of the animals, kill everything, and he's going to disobey, keep back Agag, the king, and some good sheep. And Samuel rolls in and, and he says, Samuel, hey, brother, God bless you. Bless the Lord. I, Samuel, did you do all the Lord said? I did all. And Samuel said, what's the bleeding of sheep? I'm hearing, bah, why? there shouldn't be no sheep. They was all supposed to be dead, sir. And, um, and this is what he says. The people. The people wanted to keep the people. Man, them, them doggone people, Samuel. You know, I just, this is so important. We want to be careful about shift and blame. As believers, we want to get good at owning stuff. Uh, I used to teach this with my son. I would call these, I would teach my son when he was younger, man lessons. If you ever go to the basketball park or you see, you see kids playing games and, and whenever they lose, it's somebody else's fault. Oh, they was cheating or, oh, they was this. I said, man, I told my son, hey, here's a man lesson. As a man, you know, you need to be able to say, hey, man, you got me. You got that one. You won. You don't want to have an excuse every time you lose. That's weak. There's something wrong with that because it's almost like saying you don't know how to lose. You don't know how to take an L. As a man, you got to know how to take an L sometimes. Just say, hey, I, I, mess, 
I, I, was, I wasn't on my game today. I didn't get that one today or whatever. Own it and then do better next time. But don't be the kid that's always, or the person that's always somebody else's. Another, it's somebody else's fault why I didn't get mine or I didn't do without, no, don't do that. That's a flaw in Saul's character here. You've just heard a transforming word brought to you by Pastor Bill Buffington. First Samuel is where we've been reading, and there's so much to take away from this book. Did you realize that many of the Psalms were written during the time that these events were happening? For much of this book, David was running from Saul. Wouldn't it be strange to be an arch enemy of your best friend's dad? Even though you didn't do anything deserving of death, you feel like a fugitive. And somehow, you found yourself in this situation where you're running for your life. This was much of David's existence in the book of 1 Samuel. He was doing great things, but King Saul was jealous of him and felt threatened by him. So he wanted to remove David completely from the upcoming kingship of Israel. Do you feel like you're on the run, undeserving of the circumstances you're in? Or are you on the other side, feeling jealous and insecure about another person, looking for their downfall? In either case, these two men needed God's help. One chose to rely on God, and the other turned away. Which direction will you choose? If you like the message you just heard, we're so glad. You'll find more solid teachings like this one from Pastor Bill Buffington at calvaryinglewood.org. Will you prayerfully consider spreading the good news with us? If this interests you, you can find the Give tab on our website. Don't forget, that's calvaryinglewood.org. This ministry is an outpouring of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Thanks for listening today to A Transforming Word.